0: Well, good evening. I don't often get nervous as I stand in front of people. I don't often get nervous standing behind a microphone. Uh, but one recurring uh, source of some nerves for me for some reason is uh, that I'm going to say good morning instead of good evening in the evening service. A mistake that I've made more than once, but alas. <laughs> good evening. Good. Morning. <laughs> good morning. Thank you, Curtis. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to do an overview of the four chapters of Philippians and look at Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. If you remember back from high school, middle school, maybe even college, there's a, there's a famous piece of, of American writing it's one of the most famous pieces uh, of American writing, up there with uh, the Gettysburg Address or the Declaration of Independence. Uh, but it's one of the most studied and one of the most profound documents in, in American history. And that is Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. And in this letter, Mark, Dr. King is responding to, to critics for to, uh, on behalf of his... Uh, strategies and tactics for, for protest and nonviolence protest. And he's writing this from, a, as the, the title would indicate, he's writing this from a jail in, in Birmingham. And he's writing this for, for a couple reasons. Right? Martin Luther King wrote this letter for a couple reasons. One, the, 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 the noted reason or, or the, the thing that prompted the letter was criticism from, from outside sources on, uh, of, of Dr. King's. Uh, protest strategy. But, but maybe one of the bigger reasons that the document was written, that the letter was written, and it definitely the, the, the bigger impact that the letter had was to encourage the supporters of the civil rights movement in a, in a time when there's a lot of discouragement, right? Do, Dr. King, one of the, the, the foremost leaders of the civil rights movement, is in jail, And so he writes this letter to remind the people to get on board with the cause, to stay on board with the cause, that they are fighting a fight that is worth fighting, to encourage them. And as I studied all week for the book of Philippians to prepare uh, the the overview and prepare a summary of the themes of Philippians, I couldn't help but notice some of the, the similarities. Right, In a lot of ways, the book, reading through the book of Philippians, reminded me back to to that letter because I think Paul is writing in a very similar manner for a very similar purpose. See, Paul, when he writes his letter to the Philippian church, he is writing from prison. This is one of Paul's prison letters, right? Ephesians we studied last week was also one of the the prison letters uh, of Paul, but in the the, the, the letter to the Philippians is one of Paul's uh, prison letters. So he, is, he has been thrown in prison. And the, the, the church at Philippi, the Philippians, they hear about this. And they have a great concern for him. And so the, the Philippians send this man, Epaphroditus, on, on behalf of the church at Philippi. They send him to Paul. To, to, to bring him uh, some sort of gift, a, a financial gift, or to take care of his needs, as Paul writes uh, in, in Philippians chapter 4, that the church is taking care of his needs uh, through this gift that is bought, brought from Epaphroditus. And as a thank you and as an encouragement, Paul sends this letter back with, the, back with Epaphroditus to the church at Philippi. And he's writing this letter to encourage the church. He's writing this letter to embolden and empower the church in a time where they might be discouraged. In a time of discouragement, what Paul is seeking to do is give the Philippians an example of of how they should live out their faith. And an encouragement to continue on in the cause. So when we, we open up, we're going to open up and, and, and read, and we're going to start at the very beginning, right? Philippians 1, 1. And now if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, there's a, there's a long way to go in the book of Philippians, and we're starting at, at 1, 1, there's 103 verses in Philippians, and I will not cover all of them verse by verse. Uh, otherwise, we might be here till uh, 10 or 11 p.m. But the first verse, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's often said that, that in Paul's letters you can, you can get, a, get an idea of what he might be writing about, even from something as simple as his introduction And in this introduction, Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And we're going to see as we study through the book of Philippians tonight, we're going to see that theme of servanthood be a recurring theme. And if you remember when we think about about being a servant and what it means to be a servant and who the model servant is, you may think back to Mark chapter 10, where, where Jesus says the Son of Man, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. And so what what Paul is doing in the book of Philippians is he is giving Christ as the model for, for how all Christians should live and how all Christians should look to. And he urges the church at Philippi to imitate Christ in everything that they do. So the book of Philippians is a book that's all about, uh, it's an urging to imitate Christ. And so I have three three main points tonight. I have three main themes uh, of the book of Philippians that we're going to talk about. The first is Christ-like joy. So the book of Philippians covers Christ-like joy, being filled with the joy of Christ. The second is being filled by Christ-like humility, the humility of Christ, and the third point is is perseverance in perseverance in the midst of trials. So we have Christ-like joy, Christ-like humility, and perseverance in the midst of trials. But see, all of those themes, they're not just independent of each other. See, what Paul does in the book of Philippians, even from a a structural standpoint of the book, it's a short book with four chapters, but it's all really centered around that passage that Jake read earlier uh, as our call to worship in in Philippians chapter 2 which is about Christ's humility. So all of those themes really center around this idea of imitating Christ. So I have three themes, but I really have one theme, right? Which is there's a call to imitate Christ. Philippians begins, Paul writes this letter and begins with a prayer. Verse 3, he says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will will bring it to completion at that day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart and you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So in this prayer, we see Paul, Paul's heart for the church at Philippi. Paul has a great concern for the church at Philippi. Paul has a great love for the church at Philippi. In fact, if you look back to Acts 16... The church at Philippi is one of the first Jesus communities that Paul establishes in his missionary journeys. Right? It's one of the first churches that, that Paul establishes. And while Paul was there, while Paul was at Philippi, he was thrown in prison there. Right? He and Silas were thrown in prison. And that was the story where, where there was an earthquake. And then Paul and Silas were, uh, uh, went directly to the jailer and they shared the gospel with the jailer. And then the next day, they were, they, they, they were forced to leave the town. But Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi, one of the first churches that they planted, that Paul planted on his missionary journeys. And so this is, a, this is a church that Paul has a, a great care and a great concern with. And this is also a church that has a great respect for Paul and what he's done because they have seen him live out the gospel. They have seen him proclaim the gospel at his own expense. So, Paul isn't just saying these things, detached from doing these things. Paul has written, is writing these things to the Philippian church, and he has modeled these things to the Philippian church already. So when Paul writes about the perseverance in the midst of trials, when Paul writes about preaching the gospel and having joy in every circumstance, both good and bad circumstance. When Paul writes about uh, the importance of the gospel, no matter the earthly consequence, he's not writing that disconnected from having lived that out. He is writing, having lived that, and that has been seen by the Philippian church. This is a very personal letter. It's a very personal letter. He's writing to people he has a great care for. And this isn't a great care as we have a great care for for all believers, because we do, right? I have great care and great love for believers that I have never met. But I have a very different care and a very different love for, for you all. As my church, my, my relation with you. And Paul is writing from a very relational standpoint. He's writing to a people that he knows, that he cares about, that he loves for. And that is seen in his prayer for them. This isn't a side this isn't the point this isn't the point of Philippians this isn't really the point of of this this section but I think it's worth saying that that when we read a prayer of Paul and he, he he prays for people that he loves and people that he cares about and he prays for the church that should be a model of how we should love and care for one another and pray for one another I remember a it's probably been a few years at this point but uh, Josh womble went through the I believe the Prayers of Paul in in Sunday school. And I remember that being a good good lesson. And this this is a model of if we care for one another, if we have a love for one another, then we should pray for one another. And Paul has that. Paul loves the church at Philippi. Paul has a great care, a great concern for them. And he knows that they have a great concern for him. The church has a great concern for him. And how do, how do we know this? Because they've sent Epaphroditus to him. They've sent to him a, a, a messenger. Because they've heard that he is in prison and they are concerned with his well-being. So when Paul is writing this letter, he is giving them an update on, how, on life in prison. He is giving them encouragement and he is giving them a call to imitate Christ. And so the first the first point the first point that I want to talk about tonight is the the call in the book of Philippians to for to to imitate Christ-like joy. And when you think about Paul's situation, when you think about Paul's circumstance, uh, joy is probably not the first thing that would come to your mind. Because a lot of times I think we think of joy as happiness. We think of, we sometimes wrongly, or in our culture, in our society, thinks of joy as, as, as just an emotional response, right? When I, when I get something that I desire, when things are really good, I have this bubbly feeling inside of me. And Paul writes, that's, that, that Paul explains that that's not what joy is. That's not what, what true joy is. True joy is is holding fast to Christ in every circumstance. And it's not just Paul who's facing this persecution. It's not just Paul who's, who's feeling the, the, the pressure and, and the, 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 the outside consequences of, of holding fast to the gospel. The church at Philippi, right? Philippi is a, is a Roman city and a city that was very had a lot of Roman nationalism. And because of that, there was a lot of persecution of outside religions. There's a lot of persecution of of Christians specifically. And so the church at Philippi faced persecution. And Paul calls them to imitate Christ-like joy. Look here in chapter 1, verse 18. It says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul is wrestling with these, these two ideas, and it's quite an interesting bit of logic that, that he establishes here, right? He said, he's, he's saying, if I, if I die... Well, that's a good thing, right? Because I have Christ. And so it, 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 Paul's writing that, that if I die, it's actually my desire that I be with Christ. It is my desire that I depart. Because if I depart, I have Christ in all of his glory. But if I stay, that's better for you because God is using me here to minister to the churches, to minister to you all. And, and, and God will be glorified through the work that he has appointed me to. And so it's an interesting bit of logic, and it almost seems like Paul is is talking about life and death very flippantly, as if it didn't matter. But I don't think that that's what he's doing. I think instead of saying it doesn't matter whether whether I live or whether I die, what he's saying is that I will honor and glorify Christ in my life and in my death. And so there is nothing that the persecution of the world can take away from me. There is no joy that can be stripped from me because even my own life, if ripped from me, is to the glory of God and to my benefit because I will be with Christ. For Paul, the, the greatest source of joy is knowing Christ. And if the greatest source of joy is knowing Christ, then nothing can separate us from that. If our source of joy, if our hope, our greatest desire, our, the, the satisfaction of our heart is Christ, then no thing on earth, in death, in life could ever separate us from that that is where joy comes from. Joy comes from having all of our hope, all of our satisfaction, all of our heart's desires in something that cannot be taken from us. Everything else in this world could be taken from us. Everything I have in this world, everything I have in this life can be taken from me except for Christ. And the only thing that can provide true and lasting eternal joy is Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is the one who is the source of my eternal joy, then, then I cannot be stripped of that. And so it doesn't matter my circumstance. See, happiness depends on my circumstance, right? If I wake up and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sick and I'm hurting and I'm not feeling good, right? I'm not happy because my circumstances are bad. But my joy is not found in my circumstance. My joy is found outside of my circumstance and no circumstance can affect that joy if that joy is rooted in Christ Jesus. And that is what Paul is establishing. So whether he dies or whether he lives, it's almost as if, If I I live, I have the joy of sharing Christ with others. And if I die, I have the joy of being with Christ. And he is convinced of this. And he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I love this because you think about who Paul is. Think about who this is that's saying this. For me to live is Christ to die is gain. This is Paul, the same Paul that 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 you know earlier in Acts, in the in the book of Acts, is, is persecuting Christians. In fact, while while they're stoning Stephen, Paul's standing there uh, holding the robes of, of those who are casting stones so that they can, they can better stone Stephen. Paul on the road to Damascus, we hear a lot about about Paul's road to Damascus story. Well, Paul was on the road to Damascus in order to, to get more permission to persecute Christians to get more authority to persecute Christians. And his life was radically transformed by the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ. So much so that someone who went from persecuting Christians now says, my own life and the persecution in my own life, the persecution that I face, cannot separate me from the joy that I have found in Christ. So much so that to live is for Christ and to die would be my gain. Paul has found joy, Paul wants the Philippian church to see that joy, the joy that comes from Christ, the joy that comes from from imitating Christ, from living for Christ, is joy. The second point is we have to keep moving, otherwise we'll be here far too long. Second point is Christ-like humility. The the letter to the Philippian church is is a call to imitate Christ, and it's and and it's to imitate the Christ-like humility. And in this section, in chapter two, we'll get into one of the the best passages in all of Scripture, right? In Christology, right? The study of, of Jesus Christ. The God-man, Jesus Christ, this is one of the best passages about Christ. And it's centered around the heart of Christ, the humility of Christ, that we are called to imitate. And Paul is encouraging the Philippians to imitate. Jake read it earlier, but I will read it again. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection... And sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus So that the name of, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage is often called, particularly verses six through through eleven, is called the Christ hymn. Right? It's thought that the early church um, would have sang this. This would have been like from a song that they would have would have known. It would have been passed around. Uh, among the churches, but it gives us an insight into the heart of Christ and the humility of Christ. See, the posture that Paul is is trying to tell the the Philippians that they should take, the posture he's trying to tell them to take is a posture of humility. And that humility is modeled by Christ. Verse 6 displays the humility of Christ. It says, says, of Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, let's think about that, right? Christ, Jesus Christ, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus Christ did not act out of his own selfish ambition. When you look at Scripture as a whole, the the, the meta-narrative of the Bible, that, that makes you pause and go, that kind of reminds me of Adam, but the opposite of Adam. See, what Adam did was he counted equality with God something to be grasped. Right? Adam tried to grasp equality with God. So what was it that, that, that Adam was after? What was the promise of Satan? It was, You will be like God. See, Adam tried to elevate himself to the status of God instead of humbly submitting to God. But Jesus Christ, even though he is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not act out of his own selfish ambition. Rather, he humbled himself, emptied himself, By taking on the form of a servant. There's that word servant again. See, the heart of Christ is a humble heart. The heart of Christ is the heart of a servant. And how does Christ act as that servant? What's the the culmination of Christ's act as a servant? Being born in the likeness of man. Being found in human form. Humbling himself even to the point of death. So, just as, as Mark 10:45, Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for all. Philippians 2 reiterates that point: that the, the servanthood of Jesus is giving his life, being obedient to the point of death. And I think that's one of the call. That, that Paul is, is, is trying to give to the, the Philippians. See, because Paul has just finished up in this section of chapter 1 saying that for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now have this heart among you, the heart of the humility, the heart of Jesus Christ, the servant who was obedient even to the point of death. And so as believers, as the church at Philippi, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of, uh, of the Romans persecuting the church, in the midst of being thrown in prison, in the midst of any earthly evil that may be done to them, have the heart of obedience and humility, even to the point of death. That is the heart that is modeled by Christ. It's hard to, to, to even teach Hebrews or Philippians chapter 2 without fully going into every, all 11 verses of this section. I don't have time to go through all of the Christ hymn. But there is a call to model and to imitate Christ, to imitate the heart of Christ, to imitate the humility of Christ, Christ-like humility. The third point is perseverance. And this point is, is similar to, to, to things we've already talked about, but perseverance in the midst of trials. See, perseverance in the midst of trials. Again, Paul is writing this from prison. He is in the midst of a trial. The church at Philippi is in the midst of a trial, knowing that, that Paul is in prison. Knowing that, that, that Paul is, is currently uh, locked away, knowing that their, their culture, their society, those around them are, are beginning to persecute the church, and they are feeling these trials. And Paul is giving this as an encouragement. Paul is writing this letter as an encouragement to persevere, even in the midst of their trials. Philippians chapter 4 is, is, it contains one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. And it's a verse that's all about perseverance in the midst of trials. It's a verse that's often taken and used in, in all sorts of contexts. Philippians 4.13, a verse that, that I think we all could probably quote. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we think about that, when we read that, we feel pretty good about ourselves. Like, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to go play a football game. I'm going to go do whatever whatever it is that I want to do because I must be pretty great if Christ is the one strengthening me. But Paul's not writing about just anything. Paul is writing about perseverance in the midst of trials. And that if we are persevering in the midst of trials and Christ is our strength, then absolutely we can endure all things. He writes this in Philippians 4.10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have reviewed your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but, had no op- but, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, what Paul is writing is that as he is in prison, when he has been brought to his lowest point in captivity, he knows how to, how to have strength. When things are good, he knows how to have strength. When, when things are bad, he knows how to be content in every circumstance because it is Christ who is the source of his strength. And if Christ is the source of his strength, then, then his source is with him no matter what situation he is in. And there's an encouragement here to the church at Philippi and to us as believers reading this in 2023, to imitate that perseverance, to imitate that perseverance in the midst of our troubles, to have that same source of strength. It's just as the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that since then you have such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off every weight that holds us and every sin that entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. See, Christ is ultimately the ultimate model of perseverance. Christ despised the shame, endured the cross, and despised its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. And there's a call to believers to have that same attitude of perseverance, that same mindset of perseverance, that same endurance. And how do we do that? We do that by looking to Christ, by having Christ as the source of our strength. Christ is the source of our strength. Christ is the source of our joy. He is the one who satisfies our heart's desires. He is when things are are good He is the one who satisfies our hearts when things are bad. In every situation, we can be confident. We can be content. We can hold fast to Christ. And so there's there's really two two urges here. I always try to end these with talking about about two two different different, uh, uh, takeaways. Right. First is for the non-believer. What does the non-believer take away from the book of Philippians? I think the non-believer should take away this, that that nothing else will satisfy you, that nothing else will sustain you, nothing else will strengthen you other than Christ. Stop turning to to earthly things for the source of your joy. Stop turning to earthly things for the satisfaction of your heart. Stop turning to earthly things. As your role model. But turn to Christ. Give your life to him. And to the believer who reads the book of Philippians, it's a call to imitate Christ. Imitate his joy, right? Just as as Hebrews 12 writes that, that for the joy that was set before him, speaking of Christ, the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, right? Imitate Christ, Imitate his joy. Imitate Christ's humility. Imitate Christ's perseverance. See, there is a call for us to, to be satisfied in Christ and a call for us to be to and a call for us to imitate Christ. That is the good news of the book of Philippians. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day. God, we thank you for uh, our time here together this evening. God, we pray that we would be a people who imitate you. God, we pray that you would be the source of our joy, that you would satisfy our heart's desires, and we would look to you and we would imitate you in all things. We pray these things in your name. Amen.